Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they only saw Jesus. Would you please pray with me? A holy God, open unto me light for my darkness, courage for my fear, hope for my despair. O loving God, open unto me wisdom for my confusion, forgiveness for my sins, love for my hate. O God of peace, open unto me peace for my turmoil, joy for my sorrow, strength for my weakness. O generous God, open my heart to receive all your gifts. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Strebeck family, for Amberly, Morgan, Ethan, Reese, and especially for Ryan. Be with Ryan now as he brings us the message you have laid on his heart. Open our hearts and minds to hear and understand it and use it in our daily lives to show others your love. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Psalm 19 begins this way. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim His handiwork. It's one of the great places in the Psalms and the Scriptures where you can tell that trying to take in the glory of God is an impossible task. And one of the best ways to say it is to say everything declares the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies, the mountains, the trees, uh, our conversations proclaim his handiwork. There are moments in life where we encounter God in a particularly memorable way. We might call these God-aware moments. Uh, we believe, obviously, that God is present and active always, at all times, in all places, in all hearts. Like the song we sang earlier, uh, we, we open our hearts. There are times where we're more aware of God and what God is doing, and maybe times where God is present to us in special ways, in ways that we remember more saliently than we do at other times. There are times where the gift of the fear of the Lord uh, brings us into the presence of God, and we are able to lay our lives down, and we experience God in a particular way. We recognize our need for God, our hunger for God, and we say with the psalmist, you know, my soul is thirsty for the living God, like streams in the desert. 
I am thirsty for God. And in those times where we connect with God or encounter with God, uh, encounter God in a special way, uh, we, very often these times are just, we can't find words for these times. They are times where we stand in awe of God. We kneel in awe of God. Uh, maybe we uh, lay on the, on the ground in awe of God. We stand in awe, and we are usually at a loss for words. You'll notice in the sanctuary today that these cloths all over the place, the, the fancy word for these is paramount, and uh, it's actually not in our dictionary. It's just from a Latin word, been around a long time. But if you see these cloths on the lectern or the pulpit and uh, here on the back wall, the altar cloth, uh, we call those pyramids. And they're simply, uh, and you'll notice that they change colors throughout the year. And in the case of, say, the, the cloths that are covering the communion elements today, uh, you know, we've always wondered, like, why do we cover those? What's the big deal? Obviously, one of the reasons is just so that flies don't get in the communion juice. That would be, <laughs> nobody would like that. Uh, the other reason that we historically cover those, though, is you, if you can imagine, it's like a veil. You know, why, what, what is the concept of a veil? Well, it's, it's hiding our eyes from something that we, that we couldn't take in fully. It's, it's just shielding the beauty just a little bit. So the idea of covering the communion elements or having an altar cloth uh, is a way of saying there's something glorious here and it's going to take eyes to see and ears to hear. We're not just going to be able to just figure it out just because we're smart or we have great taste. You know, we can just, we're great chefs or whatever. Uh, but it's going to take some, some uh, you know, listening and paying attention. So the white pyramids, when we have white, that's the resurrection color. So you don't see it very often. We, we get it during the Easter season. We get it the 12 days of Christmas You'll see white pyramids at funerals very appropriately uh, because we're proclaiming the resurrection of the Son of God. Uh, you will see um, white pyramids at weddings because we're looking at the miracle of new life. Uh, and so, but anyways, we don't have white pyramids every day of the church year. That's the point. Most of the time, most of the season, we see the color green, which is the ordinary color. It's the day-to-day -day color. You know, it's the washing dishes color. It's the color that we just gets us from Monday through Friday and, you know, Sunday to Sunday throughout most of the year. But there are special days. There are special moments. There are special times in the life of discipleship. We've been talking about what it means to follow Jesus. We've looked at some of the difficult passages, some of the things like loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. We've walked with Jesus into some hard, difficult situations and uh, where we have a lot of questions. We're pressing in. We're leaning in. We know that Jesus has a good life for us, a joyful life for us, but we also know that it's not easy. But it is a joyful journey, and it's very important to remember that while we find joy in everyday practices such as reading Scripture, going to work, uh, washing dishes, changing diapers, etc., we also find joy in these special moments along the way where we follow Jesus up a mountain very often and appropriately with a handful of others. And so we get this great text today uh, we call the Transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, where Jesus is transformed, transfigured in this, this special moment. And so why is this story in Scripture? What is really going on here? So we get these great time markers. After six days, Matthew tells us, it's not so important that we're keeping track of the number of days that Jesus was doing ministry or whatever, but when we hear after six days, we're going to hear things like Genesis 1 and 2. And we hear after six days, we're going to remember Exodus 24, when the glory of God covered the mountain and Moses was on the mountain with three of his close associates, 
And there, and the glory of God covered the mountain for six days. And on the seventh day, there was a voice from heaven. And so we're, we're keying in after six days. Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John. We'll remember the calling of the disciples. These are the first ones we hear about in Matthew's gospel. Peter, the fisherman, James and John fishing with their father. And they're following Jesus now in this close circle. These are also the three disciples that will be with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the, the glory and the struggle is all going together. Peter, James, and John, they're led up a high mountain. Why the mountain? Well, I don't know. Why do we like mountains? You know, there, there's things that happen on the top of a mountain sometimes that's just hard to explain. Revelation, historically, the people of God. This is where God would reveal his word, his likeness, his presence. So it's appropriate that Jesus would take the disciples up a high mountain. You know, they've been dusty feet, dirty hands. They've been in difficult situations. They've been asking the wrong question. Jesus just got told by, I mean, excuse me, Peter just got told by Jesus, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. I mean, it's been an up and down thing for the disciples, just like for us. So it's this beautiful moment where Jesus opens this window and they get to see something beautiful. They experience something great. Jesus is transfigured before the three disciples. His face shines like the sun. His clothes become white. And then, as if that wasn't great enough, we get like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame shows up. We get Moses, we get Elijah, we get you know the person who personifies the revelation of the law, we get the prophets, we get Moses, we get Elijah, and everyone's there, and it's just this moment, and you know, breathtaking, oh my gosh, I can't believe Moses and Elijah are here. And so Peter naturally says to Jesus, as Peter is so prone to do, he just speaks up and he just says the honest thing that we would all be thinking, this is so great. Can we just stay here a little while? You know, can we camp out? Can church camp last forever? Do we really have to go home? You know, here we are in this place, and I just like to stay if that's all right. I'll build three tents, and there'll be one for you guys, and we'll all hang around, and this will be a great camp out on this mountain. And Jesus, this is the kind of discipleship that I'm interested in. This will be fun. We just get to hang out here, and the experience will be wonderful. But while Jesus is still speaking, a nice way of saying, I mean, excuse me, while Peter's still speaking, uh, he's interrupted. He's interrupted by a bright cloud overshadows them and a voice, just like in Exodus, a voice speaks from heaven. The seventh day moment, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We've heard these words before at Jesus' baptism. Uh, when God says, the voice of the Father says, this is my beloved Son. This is the one. This is the one to pay attention to. I'm very pleased with my Son and all who will follow Him, right? This is going to be your inheritance, the pleasure of God. But Then he adds three words. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Right, listen to his words. Listen to his life. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces. They were terrified. But Jesus came, placed his hands on them, and said, Rise and have no fear. Then they lift up their eyes, and Moses and Elijah are gone, and they only see Jesus. And this little scene uh, has, has come to an end as they know it. But it's preserved for us here. And we're remembering as we read this story, as we hear this story, these moments in our lives where the presence of God has been this way. 
uh, where we have just, you know, we couldn't explain it. We tried to tell somebody else it wasn't there, and it was just hard to, to wrap our minds around or use words for. Uh, and, uh, but it's an important piece of the life of every disciple, these mountaintop moments. They should not be discounted. We can't live our lives on the mountain, but goodness, it's nice to have them along the way. They're very important in forming us into who we have been called to, to become. So then why in the world, on their way down the mountain, as they're coming down the mountain after this glorious experience, does Jesus say, okay, guys, don't tell anybody about this until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. It was a big, you know, shush. Don't talk about this. All right, let's keep this quiet for now. We'll tell about it later, but right now let's not talk about it. It's the strangest thing. Why does Jesus, this is not the first time Jesus has done this. Why does he say this to Peter, James, and John? Don't tell anybody about this until the resurrection of the Son of Man. I think the key to understanding why Jesus says to be quiet for a little while is comes from the, the previous chapter in chapter 16. Remember, context is everything. And in the 16th chapter, uh, there's this great moment where Peter has his, his best moment so far and his worst moment so far. His best moment where he recognizes when Jesus says, who do, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And he spoke correctly. And then Jesus goes on and he proceeds to tell the disciples for the first time, listen, it's about to get really hard. All right, we've been doing, you've been seeing all these great miracles, and we've been healing, and we've been teaching, and things have been going along, but I'm fixing to have to go to Jerusalem. We're going to go together, and the Son of Man will be betrayed, uh, he will suffer, and he will be crucified, and then raised on the third day. And what does Peter immediately say? No, 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 that's not what I signed up for, that can't happen. That's not you, Jesus. Maybe that happened to the prophets, but that's not going to happen to you. This, this shall not happen to you, there's no way. And that's when, Peter, when Jesus says, Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but rather the things of man. You don't understand. You don't get the glory without the suffering. We don't get Easter without the cross. And Peter did not understand that. The disciples were struggling to understand. So it's a timing question. It's a timing issue. Don't tell the story yet. If you tell the story now, the crowds are going to flock. They're going to say, oh, there's the latest miracle worker. Let's bring the circus to town. Let's go find out what's going on. Maybe we can make some money on this. Maybe we could take our food truck and sell tacos and we can make money uh, at the latest, greatest thing that Jesus did. But Jesus didn't want fame. He wasn't interested in fame. He wanted followers, right? He still doesn't want fame. Jesus doesn't, never wanted to be famous. He wanted us to follow him. And that's why there were some of these moments where he says, quiet about this for now. These moments in our lives and in the life of the disciples where we have these, these glorious experiences, uh, they can really be helpful. They can really sustain us in the hard times. The disciples are about to find out exactly what that means. They're going to experience their own denial. They're going to witness the one that they loved and followed uh, be beaten and suffer and die, and all hope will seemingly be lost. And you've got to imagine that as these guys told these stories, you know, and as Matthew wrote this gospel out and these stories circulated throughout the early church, imagine what it was like for them to tell this story. You know, oh my gosh, guys, remember when Jesus took us up on the mountain, you know, and they're telling other people about it. And, uh, and it, it had this significance, this great significance. And, and the other disciples and the early church members and we can relate 
to these experiences because God is good uh, to meet with us in this way. Uh, John 3, right? The Spirit blows where the Spirit blows. We, it's just like the wind. We see the effects of it, but we don't see the Spirit. And we don't have a corner on this market. We don't tell the Spirit when to move and how to move. But we are gracious recipients and participants in the life of the Spirit. And as God sends His Spirit in special ways, we participate. Thanks be to God. But the glory of God in these moments, in these special times, can really sustain us in the hard times. And that's important because as disciples, we're going to find that out. We already know that this is a tough life. I think of, uh, you know, as any marriage starts with this great ceremony, this wonderful, glorious moment of the wedding ceremony, and it helps us, it sustains us. And, you know, many of us would say probably that the first year of marriage is the hardest year. And so that glorious experience of being together with all the supportive people that love us to death, uh, it helps us, it helps carry us through the hard times. So these are, these are important moments. Um, just kind of a modern recent story that, that's in the news that some of you may have seen on February 8th, uh, so just about 10 days ago on a Wednesday, just an ordinary Wednesday in Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, this is where, this is where uh, my son Ethan was born. That's where I went to seminary. Across the street from where I went to seminary at Asbury College or Asbury University, uh, they were having a normal Wednesday chapel service. And after the Wednesday chapel service, there was a small group of students, just a handful of students, that stayed after the service and they had been talking and, and wanted to pray for one another. And they were just feeling like it was a time to pray just for, for all the things that were on their hearts and the burdens across the campus and everything else. And so they hung around and began to pray and they sang songs together and off key without amplification or screens or anything. And they just began to sing and pray and read scripture. And the strangest thing happened. There was an outpouring of the spirit that began to occur right there in little small town in Kentucky, and all of a sudden word starts getting out around campus and people start cl canceling classes and professors come visit and people come across the street from the seminary and trying to figure out what in the world's going on over here at Asbury College. And uh, there wasn't really a great way to explain it except that something special was happening. It was a transfiguration moment that began to happen on the campus of Asbury, Asbury College. It was a humble beginning. It was very simple. Again, everybody that went was like, yeah, it was nothing special. It was just everybody was a bunch of college kids singing off key. Uh, it didn't sound like it, whatever, but it was just, it was special. It was some, when you walked in, you just knew that the presence of God was there. And of course the circus comes to town, you know, and it, national news picks it up, which is great because it's, it's, you know, telling part of our story. This is kind of part of our Methodist history and all the stuff. It was a beautiful thing that's happening, but just one of those moments, like we hear about, Occasionally, you know, church camp, whatever, kids go off on a mission trip and they come back trying to tell us a story and they say a bunch of stuff, doesn't make any sense. And we're like, hey, great. I can tell by the look on your face that you had a great experience. Uh, I, you know, I'm not trans, I'm not hearing exactly what you're saying, but I, I can tell it was good. And that's wonderful. It's beautiful. Um, so, I, you know, a lot of people, of course, wanted to go to Asbury. Man, I wish we could go. And they went and, and uh, you know, all of us in the room here obviously aren't there today because we're here. Uh, but uh, this past weekend, I, I texted my friend Greg. Greg uh, is the chaplain at Asbury University. And Greg's from Vernon, Texas. You know, he's just a, one, one of us, a West Texan guy. And uh, I texted Greg. I said, hey, Greg, you know, I'm so glad that you're there because you're a, you're a trustworthy man, an adult, you know, and you can be there to help shepherd this whole process. And I'm so glad that you're there in the middle of this. I'm going to pray for rest and that sort of thing. And about 24 hours later, Greg texts me back. And he said, uh, 
gosh, it just stuck with me. He said, I love you, Strebeck. He said, uh, wow, the world has been hungry to see Jesus. Isn't that great? The world has been hungry to see Jesus. And he just said, that's just what this is all about. And we can't explain it, but thanks be to God. And so um, I think as we respond to that and to things like that, goodness, we see that in, around the world. Uh, in India, we see that in Africa. We, see, we hear these stories and we, we often think, gosh, I wish I was there. Uh, but I think most of the time, the people that are there would encourage us to, you know, rather than come here, what would it look like to begin praying for those kinds of things and to begin waiting and watching for Jesus in those ways in our own places that we live, Nolan County and Sweetwater, First Methodist Church? What would it look like for us to wait and anticipate the presence of God? Again, we don't manufacture this. We don't plan for it. Uh, we don't command uh, these things to happen, uh, but when they do, we receive them and we give thanks for them. And so uh, as we kind of close and respond to this text today, I was thinking one way we might do that. What would it look like for us to just write down today? You may know something right now, or you may go home. I'm going to go home this afternoon and uh, take a piece of paper and just write down one thing. What's one thing that you and I could do that would help someone else and help ourselves walk up the mountain with Jesus. What's one thing, like just say in the next year, 2023, what's one thing we could do to help ourselves and another person or a group of people experience God in a special way? Uh, it could be a variety of things. You could think of many more things that I can think of right now. Maybe you would say, you know what, I'm going to sponsor one kid to go to church camp this year, and I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to let them know I'm going to send them with letters uh, and let them know I'm praying for them. Or maybe it would be, I'm going to go and work a church camp, or I'm going to go and, as a sponsor on a mission trip, or I'm going to uh, lead a group of doing something or other. I'm going to sign up for a prayer vigil for something like a walk to Emmaus retreat or you know something like that. Or I'm going to get together a group of friends and, and we're going to pray in the chapel you know, one day uh, next month and just pray for each other and pray for the community. It could be a million things. Like I said, these are just random ideas, but What's one thing that we could do, you and I, uh, to help people up the mountain, just to have a chance to experience Jesus in a special way? Um, you may want to help plan a worship service. Uh, you may want to, I don't know, there are a lot of things we could do, but um, just invite you to consider that, pray about that, and, and write something down. Share it with somebody, and uh, we'll see what begins to happen there. But uh, the good news for us, of course, as we respond to Jesus and as we look for Jesus is we don't have to we don't have to look hard we don't have to wonder we don't have to come up with a special formula we have these promises that God is present with us when we gather we have these promises that God is present with us in a special way holy communion and the sacraments and baptism and communion uh, we, ways we can't explain it's a mystery but we can count on it we don't have to wonder if God is here we don't have to wonder if we're forgiven when we hear that we're forgiven and we receive uh, the bread and the wine, we, we can know that. These are tangible, simple ways that we can know and trust uh, that God loves us, God has forgiven us, and uh, that God has called us uh, to work together uh, to be the church. So that's the good news of the gospel, uh, that God, God's forgiveness and his grace is present and readily available to us. Uh, we don't have to go looking hard for that grace. That grace has found us and is present with us today. Uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.